0: welcome to the music grind podcast this is episode 30 Welcome back to The Music Grind, the uh, podcast where we take a look uh, backstage, behind the scenes, day in the life look of uh, what it's like to be a working musician. And in these uh, upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking about some real things, uh, you know, some of the, the stuff that doesn't really get talked about, not only, you know, what it's like to do the work, but what it's like to live the life of a musician of an artist uh, things that have been affecting us recently in this country around the world um, and some things that you know affect us as musicians and as humans for ages if you are enjoying or have been enjoying this podcast please uh, don't Don't forget and don't hesitate to share this with whomever uh, you want. One of my favorite things to tell you to do is uh, grab somebody else's phone and subscribe them uh, to this podcast. You know, just take their phone, just take it, subscribe them to this podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts or if they have an Android on Google or on Stitcher or on Spotify and uh just yeah subscribe them because you're already subscribed you're listening right aren't you and if you're not you should and that's what i think uh you can also share it um well i just said you know share it rate it and review it on any of those platforms that you happen to listen on that will help uh to you know spread the word and help get this podcast up on the lists that they make and you know all these uh, all these things will help today's conversation is I have been looking forward to this one for quite some time. I've been thinking about it for quite some time and uh, I'm quite excited to present this one. It is a long conversation. So this, you'll, you will have noticed that this episode is roughly two hours long. That's because there's a lot to say. Jeremy Douglas uh, is an artist. He's a phenomenal musician, but he's also a deep thinker and you know, there's a lot to say in this conversation. The The reason I wanted to have him on the conversation was for one topic, but we got into many more, which I'm very happy to do. That one topic was, um, or is, imposter syndrome. We all, as artists, as musicians, we all encounter it to some degree, I believe. And what do we do about it? What is it? What do we do about it? How can we... Um, how can we live with it how you know what are some methods um, and I think most importantly just keep in mind that we all feel it you are not alone in that feeling and let's see if we can't uh, turn it and use it for growth rather than you know paralyzing us which often can happen uh, I'm really glad to have Jeremy because he posted about this, um, on Facebook about two years ago. And ever since then, I've been thinking about it, uh, experiencing it, of course, thinking about it and trying to, you know, cope with it in my own way. I do experience it, uh, as I, I think that you might also, once you hear what it is, and once you delve into it, you might also realize that you have been as well. So, and then we talk about, you know, much more than that. Um, we talk about the current COVID situation, the current civil unrest. We talk about Jeremy's um, project, uh, Flo- the Florida Bi Orchestra, which is a phenomenal thing. Um, its inception, its you know the, the current state. Uh, we're all on pause, but what is it? What are they doing uh, going forward? We talk about all this stuff, and I'm really excited to present this. So, without any further ado, Jeremy Douglas. good to see you you too man how are you good too i'm okay um yeah. um i've spent so much time on the computer that these days like i'm getting this headache that i can't figure out why it's probably my eyes and how i'm sitting and all this but
1: they got these like um, fancy yellow glasses you can wear yeah i want to
0: look into those blue blocking businesses yeah, yeah. I, I really should probably get that
1: maybe you know i get a i get I get tension headaches all the time. I carry a lot of tension in my jaw and oh. uh so yeah, what I know when i'm like knuckling down on a project and I'm like furrowing my brow and like clenching my <laughs> teeth and, and you know for hours I'm yeah, yeah, I can feel it yeah yeah how do you how do you
0: uh deal with it what St- do you do
1: to- stretching? So okay uh, you know, okay but I'm I'm also like I, I also get like like soul crushing migraines. So I, I'm really? I yeah I'm a special case. Uh, it it's a uh, it it's like it's from a, it's a like muscular migraines. They they they're not neurologically uh created like classic migraines begin in the brain but um mine are like chronic muscle tension that pulls on this muscle group here in my neck, and uh huh. and there's a giant bundle of nerves that run through that group, yeah, so when I start getting attention headache, those nerves start to get pinched, and then I get the effects of a migraine, I get the nausea and the sensitivity to light um, oh that's but it's that's like crazy. A, but, it, but it's like <clears throat> I get the migraines through my skeletal muscular system, not through my neuro not through my brain you know yeah
0: i don't uh, but, know what what the difference would be like how would you know or
1: how would one know the difference it's just the, like like classic migraines you know that you hear a lot about people can feel them coming on like um like there's an, a visual aura around things okay. um some some yeah. people will see strange uh, grid shape patterns like overlaid their vision in the corner of their eye um, almost like if you press into your eye really for a long time yeah. those <clears throat> patterns that'll develop um, right. people will see that out of the corner I don't get any of that My migraines start as like tension and then once uh. this once this muscle group gets activated down in my neck uh, then then yeah then I'm laid out. You know, yeah. So I I I try to stretch it out. It doesn't really help. Nothing helps. You <laughs> just have to sort of you just just to knuckle down, man. You I've have had, to like wait it out, or yeah. Or... I mean, I've missed gigs. Like some of them are so bad that like I oh, I man. I don't even want to I don't even want to stand up. You know, right? Um, a lot of times you trying to find the food that triggers it or something. Right. Like I've right. cut out like bananas and And most chocolate, like try not to eat chocolate, those are migraine triggers, really, yeah, wine too, especially red wine, I never knew that, yeah, why-- like a sip of wine is like an instant headache for me, like right away, boom, oh man, it's crazy,
0: yeah, holy cow.
1: Well, I'm sorry to hear that,
0: but it, it's good that you have your you know what the triggers are, so you can avoid them.
1: Yeah. So when you're um, working and you're getting all tensed up, man. I mean, you 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 got you take breaks, right? And you stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have to. Yeah. Some, sometimes, um, I mean, I just go lay down or something for a, for like ten minutes or something. Just like close my eyes, get my focus to a different spot, and you know,
1: yeah, it helps. I've been working on like touching my toes. I couldn't touch my toes until like two years ago. For my whole life, and that's uh-huh. that's actually helped. That kind of stretching, where you can like fold yourself in half and just yeah. let and just let your 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 spinal column and your neck just sort of dangle. If you can uh-huh. get in that position where it just hangs and you can relax it loosely, and like gravity just sort of pull your head back right. out, of you know where it should be. Like, Have you ever
0: done or thought about those you know those things that like hang you upside down by your feet and Man, AJ
1: AJ Vaughn and Nicole, they they you know them? Do you know AJ yeah, and Nicole? I,
0: I know AJ. Yeah, I don't AJ, know Nicole.
1: Uh they got one. And I yeah. you know, like right before the pandemic hit, I was like maybe I should I kept thinking about calling them asking if I could come borrow some time on it. But then yeah. now, you know, nobody's going to anybody's house, so Right. I just let it go. <laughs>
0: I've always wanted to try one of those see see if it'll help um, who knows yeah, so man let's um i wanna i wanna know I actually don't know much about your history I just know that i've like i've when uh when I started playing here about ten years ago, I was hearing your name and then I finally heard you, and I heard you about like you know back in the day, I heard about you because you were playing with Lisa right Lisa and Kenny Lisa Castellano. yeah 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 um so i just knew you as like this jazz guy uh which you are but you're more than that so how did you get started with music
1: um i uh i was um what grade was i in i i, I want to say i was like 14 years old maybe okay. maybe 15 and um At the school that I went to, there was a piano tucked away in the corner of a room, and it was a very small school. And there was there was freedom to like you know disappear into this room at certain times of the day, like. um, And so I I went in there, and I now keep in mind I I, um I took piano lessons when I was ten or or maybe eleven. For, yeah. for a little while, and I didn't stick with it. I didn't like it, but I remembered where middle C was. And so I would go into that piano, and I would just, like, start playing notes, and then and I didn't really know much. I kind of, like, nobody taught me how to make a chord. I just kind of figured out cor- a chord. Um, okay. And then I went and got some, uh, some instruction. I... I I learned a bunch by ear. I sort of developed it over the course of a couple of years, begged my parents to get me a piano, buy me a keyboard. Um, I taught myself how to play uh, some piano music that I had been listening to. Um, a friend of my mom taught me how to play a Chopin nocturne just wow. by I – mean, was, it, was it a nocturne or was it one of the funeral marches? It, it – Playing wise, it was very simple. It was this Chopin piece. It was just chords. I mean, big fat chords, but okay. not a lot of technique. Just just stretching your fingers and playing these giant chords. And she to- okay. taught taught me those shapes. Um, but I, it was really easy for me to cop the the emotion of it. It made sense. Like emotionally, music had always made sense. So okay, once I learned those shapes, it was really easy for me to put emotion into it. And then I took that nocturne, and then some other thing that I taught myself how to play, and I auditioned for Pinellas County Center for the Arts, um, just kind of on a, on my own. Like I was going to a a, a Pentecostal Christian school. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I I wanted to I wanted to get out of there. It was a <laughs> It was a dark kind of period. They they weren't life, yeah. they weren't the they they weren't they weren't the model, you know, Christians that yeah, you would you would hope to see. They they were. I don't, are you familiar with Pentecostalism?
0: I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, not not firsthand, but I know. I, growing up,
1: I knew a lot of people who were Pentecostal. You know, think, go, go, thinking back on it now, I mean that that's on the edge kind of 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 mm-hmm. fundamentalism which is yeah. approaches extremism you know it's not extremism but it's it's right there on the way to it you know yeah yeah um it can and, be absolutely and i felt quite a bit of that while i was there so i wanted to get out and um i uh i was leading this weird double life where i was going to a pentecostal christian school um but uh um, but my mother was going to a Unitarian church on Sundays. Okay. So I would go to Unitarian church with her, Pentecostal Christian school during the week. It was really interesting. It was, uh, it was a taste of, of two polar opposites. I yeah,
0: know. I was going to ask like probably very conflicting messages
1: through, through the week and then on a weekend – you know the only conflict that ever happened was when the Pentecostals found out that I did go to Unitarian Church. they warned me of the cult they warned okay. me not to fall into the cult of Unitarianism, okay. which you know going back now thinking about uh, it's like it's really interesting like how Unitarianism could be a, a cult uh, uh-huh. you know it is such a, a, a is so welcoming of 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 all of all perspectives. There is no, there's no leader of Unitarianism, you know. Mm. There's like classic joke about Unitarianism is what do you get when you cross a, a Jehovah's Witness with a Unitarian, which is like somebody who knocks on your door for no real apparent reason. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, I had a girlfriend at that Unitarian church. And um, she went to PCCA at Gibbs High School in St. Pete, and I wanted to go to school with her. And I had been playing piano on my own, and she is a, was a f- uh, a flute player, and so I auditioned so I could be with her and escape yeah. escape that school. I and um and they let me in, so that started my life in music. I I went to music school. Nice, yeah. And I you know I, I kind of like consulted with my parents on this but i i just sort of really did this on my own you know were they were
0: they supportive or uh just reticent or or um
1: in between i you know i at at first i it happened so fast like how 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 quickly music started to make sense to me like from the time that i got this like Little keyboard and started like figuring out songs. I mean, I like, I really obsessively laid into it 14, 15 well, years old. <clears throat> what was you the know? kind of music? That, like it listening was, to songs on the radio or yeah, just radio Chopin songs type? And, and Chopin, that kind of music. A lot of like new age piano I was listening to. Okay. Like, like guys like David Lance or uh, Ackerman, It was a guitarist. He was really good. Um, anyway, I. I just was just soaking up everything that I could find. But I had not heard like jazz yet. No one had ever really okay. played it for me. Um, but I got accepted to PCCA, so I started going there. And then that's where I got – that's where everything happened. That, right. that place you was, got exposed to everything else. Yeah, yeah, that place was amazing, man. I couldn't think of a better high school experience. But my parents, I think, because it happened so fast, it's not like they didn't really take it seriously. I just think they were just – did not expect – to draw the line so cleanly between like my mom on Christmas buying me this keyboard. And then four or five months later, I've got audition pieces ready for a music school. Um So, y- y- you know, uh Yeah. So I, I, I had the girlfriend that went to that school and she arranged the audition for me. I, I, I contacted them myself. I, I I did all the things. I, I had my parents consent, but they were sort of like, "What we're doing? What are we doing now? What's happening?" <laughs> um I'm like, "I'm going to music school." And you know, in the middle of the year, I transferred my sophomore year, I transferred there. So
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um
0: so it's got a little bit of a whiplash for them, but um but you I'm always curious because of my own experience. Um would you know did you have did you have any I I guess I had to a little bit um show and prove that um hey this is you know this is for real. Um Yeah. You didn't have at, to do any of that? At music school, you mean? Uh, No, uh, with with your parents.
1: Oh no, Uh, or even at music school, I
0: suppose. Yeah, my
1: my parents. I guess you know, looking back, they they were always supportive of anything that I wanted to do, and I think that at fourteen or fifteen, I um, I hadn't really done anything. Like maybe they were just waiting for something to happen for me, waiting for an interest to. I don't really remember much of what I was like before 14 and 15. So unformed and so, you know, I had, right. I'm sure I, I had people that I liked. I'm sure I had like, I liked some songs. I, I had movies that I loved, but like I hadn't really formed like a, like a purpose. Like what was it? you know? So sure. maybe at that point they're like, oh man, he found a thing. Let's, let's do this thing. Yeah. So
0: so so now now it's definitely your thing um how did you turn that into becoming a professional <laughs> just
1: um <laughs> uh the i would say um stubbornness you know to the oh. to the point of of like uh i, I don't know it it took a lot of help i needed a lot of help uh, you know from uh, what kind of help financial help from my parents early on you know I I moved out on my own pretty much right after high school Um, and uh, and and got a job but then lost it and then there was quite a bit of help from my parents financially until I found another one eventually I found a gig Um, Mm -hmm. and it was like my first paying gig it was with this band called Ugly Rumors they were a Grateful Dead tribute band, um, out of uh, like Palm Harbor. They're still okay. around um, oh. now. They're their uh, Uncle John's band. They play. They've had they've like this great, you know, the Grateful Dead band that played at Skippers every weekend for like twenty years. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, that's that's the remnants that's of Ugly Rumors. It's like what's left over from that group. But that was my first gig. I was uh, I was eighteen years old, and they were all thirty and forty. <laughs> you know, what,
0: what did you learn then? From what did you learn from that gig? From being with these guys who are older and probably already in it? Um, I learned
1: that uh, I, I learned how to, uh, I guess, how to. I was just playing Grateful Dead songs, but there's a significant amount of jamming and improvisation going on there. So I I think I... I don't know that I really learned how to jam then. Like, my real yeah. lessons in how to play with other people came later. I think I just was happy to be doing something like that. And at the end of the night, you know, walking out with money, that was yeah. really... <laughs> you know, it wasn't enough. It it wasn't... And I'm sure they paid me nothing because I was just this kid. But right. to them, there was like, you, you know, I was the the kid in the group of the, in the, in the band of all grownups. And I yeah. think, I think they liked that, but they didn't really, they didn't really support it as financially as they could have. Uh, yeah. But still, um, my, my, yeah, like my real lessons on how to play with people didn't come until like in my, in my early twenties, mid twenties. Um, so now you know i know
0: i know you from uh have you know having played together yeah and you're doing actually i, I want to ask you some. you told me years ago you told me about this thing i, I asked you about it like how to solo and how you do because i love how you love how you play and you described it as like you see kind of um uh, i th- you think you described it with like grayed out like you see the keyboard and certain you hear certain chords and it's certain notes are grayed out to you or these are the notes that you can hit or do you still like experience that you still yeah think yeah that
1: way? i do but you know i mean that's like that that's like trying to make it make sense it's it's not really I, I i there's no way to really describe it but i guess the maybe a better way would be more like um the way i view a keyboard is sort of like in two uh, Physical levers, le- levels, the the white keys, the black keys, yeah. and so okay. the relationship between them is sort of almost like uh, maybe like um, uh, like a landscape painting, where in the key of C, it's a it's a flat plane, it's a painting yeah. of a flat plane, it just goes straight across, and and then in the key of G that has one sharp it's a flat plain with just this tiny little mountain all the way over on the right-hand side, Okay. right, on the right-hand side of the frame. Um, and D has two little mountains. And then when you move over into keys like B, now you're talking about mesas and valleys, oh, right? And yeah. so that's how I see the keys, sort of the, the black keys and white keys relationship to each other as two levels, one below the other one plains and mountains. Um, and so as harmony is um, changing around me in a, in a, if I'm soloing or something um, or if I'm comping and the tune is progressing through its changes, through its modulations and um, now imagine that landscape painting is just sort of like on a giant infinite scroll and it's always scrolling to you know it's always scrolling from right to left right okay into the and the right is into the future and the left is into the past and then the frame is what's happening in this second Mm -hmm. right and so that landscape is constantly changing for me depending on where we are in the tune depending on i heard somebody play something and then that recontextualize everything and then suddenly you know mountains become valleys and and so that's that's how i see the notes that are available to me in those moments they get carved out of physical space wow to, you know where it's where it's almost like it's really just sort of like subtraction mainly because the other side of that is like i am not subtracting these notes these notes would be terrible idea to play right now <laughs> would just ignore them and then what you end up with is sort of It's it's modal, you know. It's just a different. It's like a it's like a physical. It's like a manifestation of modality. Okay, where the modes are are landscapes.
0: That's a. That's a concept that I'm gonna have to like just sit with because I don't don't know that I experienced that that way. Maybe I could, you
1: know, it'd almost be like I wish I was an animator because like I could animate this concept and it would be, and I think it could make sense. If you could just picture an infinite scroll of a painting that's being created in the moment, it's going by you, and what's happening inside that frame is sitting right in front of you, that's what you can play right now. And I can play these white notes down here and these black notes up here. So what shape does that make? And that shape is always changing. And in my head, that shape is a like a landscape, you, you know. Just out of curiosity, do you have synesthesia? Is that what you're experiencing? No, I don't think I have synesthesia, but I know I, I okay. know what that that is. Maybe okay, it's yeah. a kind of it, but I mean, like, I don't have it anywhere else in my life. I don't think, it, you know, okay. like, I don't like taste, words and stuff like that, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, but it is, I think it's just, uh, me being a visual person, being sort of a logical person. It, it's, it is a, it's a trick in my, I, I developed in my head to, to, um, synthesize this information that's given to me and then this input and this output. Constant exchange of input and output, and I've organized that information in this way that that to me makes sense to see it as a landscape painting.
0: Yeah, no, I find that I find that incredibly interesting. Um, so you've uh, we talked on the phone of what two days ago now? Can't I can't keep track of it? We got to get to. We got into some heavy stuff, man. We did. I want to get back in there. But first, I want to list some of your credentials. One of my okay. favorites is Bjorkestra. Yeah, the Florida
1: Bjorkestra. Flor- the Florida Bjorkestra.
0: My goodness. Um, I, I got to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke, but it is so good. First of all, the concept and the execution of it. You, right. You've put together this group... Um, and and the arrangements the each time you you have like a theme you know the the buffy thing the peter yeah. gabriel thing the yeah. it's man um what was it that you know what was what was the birth of that
1: idea um well the, the you know the i was uh listening to bjork i'm a huge fan of bjork and i've always listened to music in a way where like, if it's an artist that I truly admire, um, I, I when I listen to them, I imagine, like, what it would be like to recreate this music with them. Mm. Uh, you know, what if I was in their band? Like, yeah. how, which, which of these parts would I play? Um, at, I, I picture it, you, you know? Um, so I was listening to her, and I was like, I could... Totally create this situation for myself. I realized how many amazing musicians that I know um, in this town that can do that can do anything. Yeah, you know, it's not like we have a a dearth of talent here. There's so much. There's so many brilliant people in this yeah. town, right? Yeah, we are not disadvantaged in, in like compared to all the places where all the great musicians live. We're not disadvantaged. There are great musicians. I could get, I could gather them. They're all my friends. I've been working in this town since I was 17, 18 years old. They're all my friends. I could put together a band that could recreate this. Like I, I know the people to call for this. Like who would I call? Um, and so I called them all up and I said, I have this like thing. I want to try to experiment with this idea. I want to take all this electronic Bjork stuff and I want to, I want to arrange it for, for real instruments and just see what it would sound like. Do you think anybody would show up? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, maybe we will never get paid for this. <laughs> and they're like, I don't care. This sounds cool. So that's what everybody said, like 12 people. They all said that. And that was so generous. And I've never forgotten. I think that's that's my
0: favorite part is that you guys are – I think it's really evident that you guys are doing it for the sake of the art, not to be a cover band or a tribute band just to sell tickets, but you're doing it for the sake of the art. And that has brought the quality with it because you're doing it for the sake of art. And then – you know, you do sell tickets because yeah. it is so good.
1: Yeah, um, it's,
0: so it's like an added benefit.
1: It's it's a it's a really fortunate thing because you know nobody does anything by themselves. I I, I needed twelve people to say yes to me. I needed a venue to say yes to me. Um, I needed mm-hmm. people to come and see it. You know, and, and so everybody said yes, and that's that's. It took like that first show. It took it took like a hundred people to make that thing what it was you know and then i was able to take it to the the palladium and meet paul wilborn who has been you know transformative in my life none of this was possible without paul wilborn so uh, if you don't know him he runs the palladium which is the theater here in downtown st pete um
0: yeah I, uh, I, i
1: don't know him personally i know of him yeah you know, it's his. It, it's his belief in this project that's made it what it is. It's the only place, with the exception of the first place we played, which was the Hideaway Cafe. Um, uh, Palladium's right. been our, our our home base. Um, that's the place where the stage is big enough for me to put twenty five musicians on stage. But you know, that's the place yeah. where Paul Wilborn is willing to you know sit across a desk from me and listen to me tell him I need to pay twenty five musicians. each for this show. And he says, and he says, okay. You know, and like 25 times 200 is a massive price tag for one show that's entirely made of locals. It's a local show. So, you know, and Paul just says, it's great that you have. He's like, he says to me, basically, as long as you, as, as long as people buy tickets to this thing and it pays me back for paying you this, because that money that we get that money, if, if, if one person shows up or if a thousand people show up, um, it's our guarantee. Right. But if one person shows up, he's, he's probably not going to have me come back and do another show, you know? Right. He just paid me five thousand dollars to play a show that sold one ticket. It's not going to happen again. So, you know, thankfully, you know, he gets behind it and he advertises it and he helps us. And I've learned so much from him. So, yeah, that's all. That that's how that happened. It it happened because because a lot of people really helped helped it happen.
0: And um, I that's great that you have the support from a venue. That's a, that's often um what's missing a lot in mm. this town and other towns you the, know other towns experience it but having that that huge support from a venue well man, it's i
1: would say it's more than just huge support the Florida Birkstrut i don't think could exist without without the palladium right. i don't right. think there's a there's not really even another venue in town in st petersburg that could support that could support us at this sort of level where we are, you know. Right. L- local band, local audience. Um there there's no other there's what other, you know, 800 seat theaters are there in St. Petersburg that that are I, that that are willing to produce a yeah, show of the, 25 right. musicians, right. you there's know. The caveat. playing some weird niche <laughs> You know, pop from the 80s. You know, it's like we do a Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush show. When's the last time Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush were like really relevant? But still, you know, they believed in it and they believe in the audience for those artists. And we do too. We believe in the audience for those artists. I am the audience for those artists.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: If I'm going to do a Kate Bush show, I'm going to make sure that it's the Kate Bush show that I would want to see if I went to see Kate Bush.
0: Yeah right you, you know yeah that's important and that's great um all right so so you've clearly you had this idea you've put it together so you've had success there hmm. you're you've uh you know obviously all this is before
1: COVID. <laughs> before it all went away
0: yeah which is its own other craziness i know but you know as you said you've been working in this town uh since you were seventeen i 've seen you you 're clearly an accomplished musician you're um th- what 's the theater is it jobless theater or is it american stage that you 're a music director for
1: job site job site, job site theater site. yeah job and lives. um and uh american stage i i do i have done some work with american stage i was getting right before everything shut down i was a week away from starting rehearsals with them i was going to- dur- music direct their park show footloose Right. Which, you know, Um, was like the moment that I've been waiting for as working in this town, you you know. um, I've got my own private independent orchestra that plays whatever I want them to play. I've got a venue that supports me. Uh, I've got support from Pinellas County who wants to give me money so I can perform these shows so they can advertise Tourists from out of town to come to town to see Buffy Fest. Yeah. Like Pinellas County was giving us money to produce Buffy Fest, and the 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 tourist arm of Pinellas County, visit St. Pete Clearwater. That's, that's cool. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a music director. I'm a music director at at two uh two really fantastic theater companies on both sides of the bridge. Um it was uh it was a dream come true and then it all just like just just disappeared in one day yeah amazing i mean i'm not i'm not going to sit here and complain about this everybody's had the same story my story is not special i can't continue on talking about it like that well
0: what i what i want to know and what we talked about is you know despite this success uh, i think it was maybe a year Two years ago, I think, that you posted on Facebook. Something that got me really interested, really thinking. About, I've been thinking about it literally since you posted it. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, man. And the fact that um, I think we all experience it. And I've talked about this to a few people who, they don't know the term, but then I'll I'll explain it. Mm-hmm. And they'll, then they connect. Oh, they yeah. I know. I've, yeah. So what, why don't you... Why don't you give us the definition or what it is?
1: The best I, the best I know it is, is feeling like a fraud in, in a community of other people who, who also do what you aspire to do mm-hmm. or who do what you have aspired to do and are currently doing. You, it's the feeling of, of being the imposter in the group of people who are the real artists. Right. Right. And
0: despite all the success, despite whatever acclaim, you still feel like it's unmerited.
1: Doesn't matter. Yeah, you feel like a fraud, essentially. And you know, um, it's interesting because it it's such it's such a a prevalent thing in in an artist. It's it goes all the way up to the top of who you know. If we had a, a hierarchy of the artists and the best artists of all all time. You know chances are at some point in their life all of them have felt like have felt like frauds despite their accomplishments.
0: Yeah. and how and how can this be I mean this is what we were talking about is the that layer that um, I, a little bit of irony that I like I feel it, I know I've experienced it um, and I know I struggle with it and then i see you who is so accomplished and i hear you that you're you're such a great musician i don't understand how you feel it or i don't understand why you would feel it you, you, you know? know so I, it's like it it's okay or I, I know i have it but how how is it that you have it and I so think on ar- and so forth
1: i think artists are are inherently very very sensitive people you know musicians incredibly sensitive painters since we 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 we're all sort of trying to connect to what makes us all human we're sensitive to Mm. to the world and how it presents itself to us i'm trying to find the straight line through this like (laughs) i think that human consciousness is a very interesting thing because by its very nature of being aware of itself we're self-aware that yeah. we can that that we can see no matter where we are in an infinite loop we are directly in the middle but if if you can grasp the concept of infinity there's no end to how large things can get There's no end to how small things can get. So it doesn't matter how big or how small you are. You are exactly in the middle of the infinitely large and the infinitely small at every point. And so human artists who I believe are sensitive to this without maybe being able to name it are sensitive to their place in the world, our place in the world, um, they're sensitive to all of the, the the groundbreaking philosophical thought that has come before us that we base all of this on and we take for granted that they would internalize. I believe it's – I don't think it's un, uh, crazy to think that artists would internalize this in a way that no matter how good I am, there's always somebody infinitely better than me. Yeah, yeah. I can never progress up to being the infinitely best because once I even get to that point that maybe in the in the distance looks infinitely large to me and maybe I can achieve that but once I get there mm-hmm. what's it look like even further beyond it's infinitely larger it doesn't so stop some, you can never some, stop growing well some
0: people would would use that as a um as a means or as um, inspiration to keep growing, to keep learning. Yes, you know where and, and other people or you know might have different degrees of paralysis because well, if I can never get there, then why try or right you know, that kind of
1: and that's that the of that's the beauty of the infinite variety of of human personalities. You know, I don't I can't pretend that I I know what makes. One person stick with it, and one person quit. Mm-hmm. I, who knows? It's a. How can you trace that? Trace that back to their the first moment their mind came online when they were a child, and what what happened in that moment that yeah, that, yeah. That, you know that created them this way. Who said right. who said the thing to them that stuck in their mind that right that that said. I can or I can't, right? you know, how, who, who can know, you know, we can't go back there and see where, where those things got planted in our heads that made us who we are.
0: Sometimes even the person himself, like I, I may not know what, what those factors were for me and because I haven't taken the time to you know, dig through my own psyche. So maybe right. I don't even know. So how could we Yeah, you're right.
1: So, so what do know, we do? You know, I yeah, I see I see where you're going. You know, like with imposter syndrome, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm a fraud. Um what am I gonna do about that? And then some people are gonna go, Well, I'm gonna I'm inspired now to to uh to become authentic or i i'm um i i quit you know so yeah there's there's that moment what do you do when you get to that moment i i all i know is what i did i i i was like well um i'm just going to keep going <laughs> dad give me some more money you know so i can pay <laughs> rent this month uh that's that's how i did it when i was in my early 20s you know um yeah until eventually i started to be able to pay for stuff uh better get got better gigs um but yeah um i think that that stuff that imposter syndrome stuff is tied so closely it shares so much space with with our drive to to grow mm-hmm. i think that that imposter syndrome is just us putting a magnifying glass on that part of us that That says, you know, that that challenges us to 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 grow, to achieve, to overcome, whatever. We put a magnifying glass on that little pivot point in our brains, and uh, and we call that imposter syndrome. That moment where we, am I am I doing the right thing? You know, and I and that exists all the way up to the top. I remember reading some article written by Neil. Neil Gaiman, who's this like prolific uh, writer, author, um, one of my heroes. I I, I love the guy. And he writes about being at this party and uh, meeting uh, an unnamed celebrity that everybody knew who was also at that party. I don't think he talked about who that person was, but the way he talked about them, you know, it's somebody that we all know and love. Uh-huh. And and yeah. that person confessed to Neil Gaiman in that moment that you know I don't know why they keep inviting me to these things. I don't really feel like i'm I'm like I'm in the same class as these people, you know, hmm. and so Neil went home just sort of like flabbergasted that this idol of his could feel that way in a in a group of other people, other artists, um yeah nobody's immune to it and you know maybe it's there on purpose maybe it's there by design it's it is that pivot point where you're you're challenged
0: and you and we were talking about um and you brought up a really good um a, i think steps towards a solution where if the community that we're in 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 our case, musicians mm, yeah um we're not as competitive if it were not built around competition, yeah. maybe we wouldn't experience that Because so. you, you you were saying that um you know we base our we base our own identity on how good we are as musicians how our our worth as humans yeah yeah um on you know you were saying you're, oh, like the phrase that I, that I love that you said on the, how much, um, uh, depth of harmonic knowledge that you have, you know, as if that determines how good of a human you, you are. Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're right. We yeah. do that. I, yeah, I do that
1: sometimes. I, you know, yeah, I remember I, I do that. I walk into a room and there's another piano in there player and he's, he's playing some stuff and I'm like, and I'm like, Whoa, what is he doing? Like, Oh man, he's so much better than me. Um, you know and then i just kind of like you, you know inside you get that kind of uh, the change in my my body language and uh, more deferential like you know beta wolf all the way um huh. <laughs> but i i don't know i mean may, maybe there's not a solution to it because maybe it's not i sure wish that we that that the that the community of uh, the music community weren't as as competitive as it as it is you know, like, like, but I don't think you you can't, you can't get rid of that. I don't know that you could. It's like, it's just human nature, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be at a gig where, you, you know, you know that you're playing on stage and you know, most of the people in the audience are other musicians who are who are here to see what you're doing maybe it's a jam yeah. session, maybe it's a jam session, and everybody's there you know or you know maybe it's um maybe you got uh, asked to be part of uh, the rhythm section for um, some guy who's coming through town you know, and then you're up on stage with some heavyweights and you're right you know and there's some of your your peers are out in the audience and you know. You know what they're you know they're they're sizing you up and down. You know it. You yeah. know? Everybody's listening to everything that you do and they're gonna armchair quarterback their way through every one of your solos in their head. It's that classic joke, you know? Like like how many keyboard players it take to change a light bulb, it's like one and then five to stand back and say, I could have done that, you know, or something. <laughs> um and that's that's the world that we live in and and i think for me the solution was just stop playing those gigs they stressed me out you know oh okay they made me kind of they made me kind of hate music you know those real heavyweight gigs where where everybody's playing balls to the wall and everybody's like it, it's just it's athleticism you you know there's mm-hmm. no there's no heart to it there's no it, it's it's the athletics of music, let's show off you know, we're athletes of tiny muscles, and this is the <laughs> this is the Olympics now. Um, I, I just stopped playing music that that I think would the solution for me was to stop playing music that 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 was inviting to other musicians
0: that That's a very surprising answer. I got to be honest. I did not expect that answer.
1: Well, I I I wanted to create gigs for myself, performances for myself that weren't just me trying to impress the other musicians by you know putting this, the coolest band and and playing really challenging songs and taking solos and and let's all who you know you know only musicians go to those gigs yeah you, you know. <laughs> right. I wanted to connect with an audience in a way that I could never connect with an audience of musicians, and I got mm-hmm. tired of trying to connect with audiences of musicians by playing. You know, that's where my in the beginning when I was younger, that's where all my instincts went. I went to the kind of music that was challenging, that that was high energy, um, that uh, you know required you to be uh, technically and harmonically. Pro- prolific. I-, I loved that kind of stuff, and that's where I—that's I, mm-hmm. where I saw myself, and that's what I wanted to attain. And I go see the Reinhardt brothers play at Norm's place back in the, in the you know early '90s, and listen to those guys just fucking wail, man. And they were so amazing. Um, and so I think you know by na- by by default I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Those are my okay. idols. You know, I want to be like that. And then I started really looking out into the audience, and it was just other musicians out there, and um, and I started to feel bad about myself because I knew in my heart I wasn't as good as the musicians who were in the audience who had come to see them my who had come to see my gig, you know. Huh. Um, and that's where my imposter syndrome happened, you know, looking out in the audience of my peers and feeling down about myself because I know they're badass and I'm not really. I'm just up here faking it, you know. Um, you know i think that's what i think that's what um
0: is frustrating for me is, is that there there's a subjective and an objective side to it yeah. because we feel we're not good but somebody on the outside is like that guy can play that guy can write or he can arrange or yeah. you know this this person can sing or this person can is a great performer. So, objectively, I see the evidence right here in front of me. I'm listening to you play and objectively, that's amazing. And subjectively, you think I'm no good. Yeah. That's what frustrates me is that there's never going to be that balance. There's never going to be or maybe I'll never be able to convince you of how good you are. Well, <laughs> and
1: you know, that that's just me, you know, I every I think that's from speaking for myself that's me grappling with my own guilt my own my own understanding of myself and my process of learning and you know i know that i like to cut corners and and so you know i have a pattern of cutting corners and when it comes to learning because i want to get to the thing sooner I don't want to spend the time. And so I know my – I know very well, quite intimately, my long history of the corners that I've cut in my life, in my progress as an artist, the the, the moments where I saw – I saw the thing that I wanted and I could go get it really quick – I could just bypass this and maybe no one will notice that I didn't really learn all my Charlie Parker bop lyrics. I didn't really study bop, you you know? I see, yeah. I didn't study bop as much as that guy studied bop. I look out in the audience and I'm looking at, like, LaRue Nicholson and I'm like, that guy's been transcribing Charlie Parker solos, you know? I never did that. What am I doing up here playing bop in front of him? And then you get in your own head
0: you know oh i know i know that feeling so well
1: so yeah. i you know there's for me there was like there were like two moves when i i came up to this point in my life where it was just so stressful and i stopped enjoying music there were two moves that i could make and i one was one was the brute force move where i just okay i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna i'm gonna sit down with these Charlie parker bop you know, transcriptions and I'm going to, I'm going to learn this stuff. Right. That's to me, that's yeah. the brute force. I'm going to go back and I'm okay. going to fix the mistakes and the, right. and, and the corners that I cut on my pro- in my progress. The other one was like, do you really, when you get to the other side of that, are you going to enjoy that? We finally mm-hmm. enjoy playing music when you, when you can go home from the gig and tell yourself you are at least as good as the other musicians who happened to walk into the room that night. Is that what's going to make you feel good? Or do you want to – what I ended up doing was a judo move on the whole thing rather than a brute force move. I just stepped aside. I'm like, you know what? That's no longer my fight. I'm, mm. I'm going to pursue this other avenue of music. It's not jazz anymore, but I can, I can use what I learned. I can definitely use what I learned from all that harmony. Um, I can definitely use what I learned – you know on those twenty nine choruses of seven steps to heaven I play in a in a jam session uh-huh. oh, on I can definitely i can concentrate that stuff for this really really tasty eight bar solo I created for myself in the middle of this tune that we're gonna play um where you know where you get to that moment where everything that is being happened is happening intentionally, yeah and so I can use everything that I learned from jazz, but I'm going to go and I'm going to connect with a different audience now. I'm going to connect with an audience of people that love this other music as much as I loved it, you know? This other side, this other musical side of me that 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 um, where I fell in love with Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush, you know, and um, and Tori Amos and... Who who else have we done? George Michael, man, some genius Michael, music yeah. from that guy, Obviously right? Bjork, Bjork. So I I get to now be the, the 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 transmitter of this other music that I love so much, and I'm going to play to people who probably aren't musicians. They're fans of it with me, and that's a that's a connection that's not like any I've ever had with an audience before. And that's okay, what so I, this
0: is. This is bringing up a, an, an idea in my head that I just want to i want to ask one thing before before I tell you this idea, yeah, in those moments in the orchestra you 're on stage or or immediately after the show, do you still feel like a fraud
1: no no okay so- I, f- I feel like um- Especially now that um I think in the beginning, yes I did. Because oh. I well, maybe those first couple of shows. The first okay. couple of shows and I had reason to feel like a fraud because I didn't really know what I was doing when I started the B orchestra, right?
0: Okay.
1: I I thought it would be very simple to translate things that I had learned from um arranging music at home. In my studio, or, original music, other people's songs, doing song production for them, like kind of being the Phil Spector role, yeah, right. you know, in producing a record where, where right. I, I've had a lot of experience with working with, with singer songwriters who, who write music, who want them to come to me and ask me to flesh it out for them and still right. keep it authentic to them, but, right. but be a producer. Like, really. Like, like I've got this song. I've got these chords. I've got these words. I've got these melodies. Please be the caretaker of that. And then underneath it, build me a, an environment. Right. Right? Yeah. And I love that role. I love that role. And I'm used to, like, being, okay, and then I'm going to put some French horns in here and then dial up the French horn patch and then type it out, you know, play it in and then mix it in. And I thought, like, putting a band together to do this was similar and it is right huh. but there's this whole other part of notation which is a big corner that i cut in my progress never really learned how to like fluently speak in written language you know in music right never really i learned how to read i know how to read i can identify all the notes but like to be fluent in it to sight read something to To know the language and how to write it, so another to communicate it to another player. I remember, like <laughs> the first time I handed Austin some music for for the orchestra, like for before the very first show, I I, I gave him like a, some sheet music that was. I mean, I'm gonna show my ass right here. Um, it was like four pages of sheet music, and. Three pages of it were rests because he had parts at the beginning and at the end. And I didn't know about multi-measure rests yet. Okay. Right. So I'm like sitting there expecting Austin to read like three pages of individual rests as he's going by. Yeah. Like I didn't even really consider. Oh, wow. So the Bjerkster has turned into a massive learning experience for me. And in those first few, sh- first couple shows, yeah I did kind of like feel like a fraud to my friends in the band, okay right uh-huh that I had invited them to come along with me, but I hadn't really learned how to how to like communicate my ideas on paper to them yet and then they helped so me. then they helped me they taught me, you know yeah um I remember which is which
0: is how it should be. Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Austin went.
1: Austin came over well, I think before maybe the third show we did, and I was working on those horn parts, and I'm like, I realized from the first show and from the second show, I'm like, man, I need some help on how to like talk about how they should play these horn parts. Because I don't really know the language of articulations for horns at this point. You know? Right, right. Austin came over and he helped me. He showed me what they all mean and how to put it together. James Suggs came over and helped me too. You know? Now the band is not no i can't say now but up to the pandemic <laughs> and for the last couple of years the band is not my solo it's not my entire burden you know um i i'm sort of like trying to create a the hierarchical structure of a theater company with this project now um okay that puts me in the producing artistic director position, right okay, right um, and um, the producing artis- the producing artistic director will then put together a season of shows, and then amongst the the talent pool in the company they 'll attach people to direct and star right, and they 'll right. cast and stuff, and so i 'm moving kind of in that direction because there's no reason why Tom Kersey can't. Generate a orchestra show the same way I can, using the same tools with the same mm-hmm. musicians. Tom Kersey is a leader of musicians, you know. Right. Tom Kirsey's a brilliant arranger. So is David yeah. Gambino, who is my horn guy who now lives in New Orleans. Geniuses. Everybody in the band is a genius. We know, you know, you know, we all know who all they, they all are. Yeah, Larue, Daniel Navarro, and Trixie McEwen. These guys are all great. They can all do what I'm doing. They don't possess. I don't have skills that they don't have. They all helped me and taught me. So right. I see my. I see the band getting to a point where, um, it's it. It's now a, a more of a collaboration. Yeah. You know, so That's- my so right now I have like like David Gambino. He arranges my horn parts for the you know for me. I tell him kind of what I want, and he builds me the horn parts. Tom Cursey's the same. I give him the strings. Like this is my best guess. These are the these are the marks I want to hit. These are the benchmarks. Make this make sense for string players, please. And he writes it out for me. So to answer your question that you asked me like ten minutes ago. Now I don't really feel like a fraud anymore at the end of that show because it's a it is a it, it feels more collaborative than it did at the beginning.
0: So I see two two different things. First of all, I, I, I that makes me that makes me um, love the orchestra even more because it's uh, this collective and, and it's I mean you you have to admit that takes humility. To say, hey, I didn't know how to do this, and they taught me. Yeah, um, yeah. So my idea, yeah, ten minutes ago, right? Yeah, right. My idea was, um, you. F- it feels like to me, like you felt like a fraud in a, in a specific situation in this jazz world, you know, this technical world that you thought you were supposed to be in because that's just what you knew. That was this. Yeah. that was the surroundings. But you don't feel like, or you know, now you don't feel like it. So, is it that like, if you're in a situation where you do feel like a fraud, you're really not meant to be in that situation, anyways. I think you know? so. So, maybe. get out of that situation and get into the thing as you did. You know that you really connect to. Maybe you're not really meant to be the technical shredder. The, the even if you can, maybe that's not you. What you're meant to do? Yeah, you're meant to connect with the audience. And until you find that thing that you're meant to do you'll you might feel like a fraud
1: yeah you you might be onto something, you know, but I would be afraid of like of of like just going all in on that line of thinking because because that can be used to as as ammunition for you know discouragement, where you're like maybe because I feel like a fraud, I should just I should just stop trying to do oh, this thing yeah. you know mm-hmm. um who you, you know i i don't know maybe, maybe i'm i like what you said i think i think there's a lot of truth in it i don't think that we're going to we're going to like wrap all of this whole concept up in a bow yeah. but like i think there's some truth in that that you know that that maybe imposter syndrome is a is a symptom of knocking on the wrong door, mm. right, yeah, yeah, like I wonder, there's so many different avenues for for expression, even within one particular artistic discipline, yeah you, you know, so like, yeah, definitely, early on, I knew music was my thing, and I think I tried really hard to be a jazzer. And I don't know that I have that 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 um. I don't know that I enjoyed it, like it gave me the kind of joy that I was really looking for, and Mm -hmm. and um, that's not because I think jazz sucks. God, I mean, I I I love it. I think that just means that like it that hat didn't really fit me, and I kept trying to put it on and kept trying to put it on and never really was, like, um, comfortable trying other hats on because I had got myself so convinced that jazz is the pinnacle of musical achievement. (laughs) And it's very easy to think like that when you're in a jazz community when everybody believes that way. And, And, you know, you could make a really good argument that it is the pinnacle of musical achievement, you know? Sure. It, it, there's but you can
0: you you can make that kind of music. You can make that um, that argument for several. I, I'm not gonna say all types of music, but you could say that you could say that for um, certain certain classical music. You know, this is yeah, the pinnacle.
1: But I you know I would say with there's something special about jazz. It is the it's the synthesizing of so many different aspects of creation and combining them into one thing Mm -hmm. more than, you know, a beautiful, even, even a a beautiful interpretation of a classical piece or, Mm -hmm. um, you ever read, uh, this is a tangent. You might want to edit this out. You ever read a a book by Herman Hess called the, the the glass bead game or no, I haven't read that one. Ah, it's so good and it's so hard to read because like the first 200 pages are an absolute slog but like the last 300 pages are beautiful and and so great and what lies at the center of it is this story about a um almost like the a, the religious devotion to a game um something in the book that's very loosely described it's never really told exactly what the game is, um, how it's played—it's all sort of like alluded to, and he did that on purpose. He didn't really want you to know, but in his descriptions of the game, it—it—it it, 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 it sounds like jazz. It sounds like the, oh. the uh, a multidisciplinary exercise that requires uh, advanced knowledge of of so many different aspects, and the game. In the book, it was you know aspects of of uh, of science and uh, orbital mechanics and mathematics and art and literature and um, it's a it's a self-referential game played between two people and and in this world the the people who are the best at the game are are sort of like monks they're, they're it's religious to them. They are very mm. centered and revered people in society. And that's... I read that book at a very formative time in my life, right when I first started getting into music. And I made a connection between jazz and the glass bead game. And then Herman Hess's language about how people approach the game and devote their life to its study mm. affected how I approached jazz and believe that I was devoting my life to its study because in that moment I made an internal connection between jazz and the glass bead game and it stuck. And, um, and so it took me a very, very long time to be like, I'm leaving that school. I think it's best that I leave that school. And that's not to say I won't take any more jazz gigs. It just is that I, I don't, my heart's not in it and it's okay it's okay right, to let right. my heart not be in it right know? yeah um and i think that's it felt like it felt like leaving a church
0: huh be, is that because you spent so much time after you read the book you dedicated yourself to it so yeah. you've invested yourself that much yeah just like one would invest themselves into a church
1: yeah you know it's felt sort of like like i'm going to leave i'm going to uh but not just like leaving a church but like leaving a religion right leaving right. a leaving a faith maybe uh that's that's where i had put jazz in my in my head uh, um but you know i couldn't deny like when i did those other gigs where i really connected with an audience remember that first yeah. bjork show we did at the at, at the Palladium? and i know that it's just a cover band i mean i know it it's a glorified at that that first Bjork show at the Hideaway, we had twelve people, but I brought in three more for when we moved to the Palladium. So we had fifteen at our first Bjork show at the Palladium. And I remember, like, at, at one level, feeling like I am just in a cover band here. Um, huh. Uh, but then I walked out to play the show, and I saw people out in the audience that like. We're wearing like Bjork concert T-shirts. They came like dressed for the show. Wow! And I, and I was wearing my Bjork concert T-shirt that I bought when I went to see her in Colorado. And uh, yeah, man, um, that felt really, really cool to like connect yeah. with, to 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 be like for one night the um, the president of the fan club. the the local the president of the local fan club just for a brief moment you know yeah and that's how I feel at every show I feel like I get to like like I find a fan base that I you know that's I I got some criteria for picking a show Um, they you know the artist needs to either be dead or never tour here um, if they tour at all here in Florida yeah never come through this area. Like okay. Bjork, she does. She's never going to play a show in Tampa. You know, closest she's ever been to us is she did Art Basel in Miami a couple of few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, the closest she ever came here was Colorado, where I went to. I flew mm-hmm. to go see her. Wow. She doesn't. So you know, you're never going to see Bjork. You are never going to yeah. see Bjork play at the one eight hundred Ask Amphitheater.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, yeah. So. That's how I'm going to pick an artist. You know, Peter Gabriel's not going to come through here again. When's the last time he played a show around here? Right. Um, Right. Kate Kate Bush has done touring. So that's how I like, that's why I haven't done like a Radiohead show. I would love to do a Radiohead show, but at the time when we were doing shows, Radiohead was on tour. They're good. They're coming through here. So they're coming through here, yeah. So that's, so it became like a, an addiction to, to identify a fan base and speak to them in their language and promo for a show to, to like reach out to other fans of this music and talk to them as they're getting excited to see them start to tag their friends. We're going to go see it. It's going to be great. Yeah. I've never had that kind of experience at a jazz show.
0: See this, this is, this is just reinforcing this idea. And and I think you're right that it's, it's dangerous to go all the way down this line of thought, but you, it seems like now you've found your thing or at least one of your things, a major thing. I, I don't think anybody is going to be, this is the one thing that I do. I don't think right. we should be that way, but this is a major thing that brings you joy that you're, you know, you excel at. I, you being, know, uh, being the jazz guy, maybe just wasn't your calling and this is, or this is a. Big part of it. That well, kind of
1: it's it, it, it's it's a product of 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 new influences, really, because it mm-hmm. all kind of happened at the same time that I was starting to work in theater, um, realizing a, a you know, what a dumbass that I was for <laughs> so long, um, like chasing jazz when like really musical theater is so much more rewarding for me to be a part of mm-hmm. like i think i regret early decisions that dismissed musical theater as mm. i don't know what i dismissed it as as being trivial or or beneath uh you know the pursuit of uh, of mastering jazz Right. I f- I feel like now that was a really really regretful and ignorant choice to make at a young age because had I given musical theater its fair shake um I may have chosen a different path in life um that was that would have been more fulfilling for longer. You know? mm-hmm. Um I started working with job site theater and and just was like amazed at, at at how ignorant i was musical theater is all of the art forms all of them like at the same time yeah it's um it's undeniable when you get a a a group of talented people together in, in different disciplines and put them together under the direction of 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 a unifying vision, and and yeah. present music and dance and art direction and costuming and writing and character uh-huh. development and narrative and and lighting and all. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 all of it, brother. It's set the decoration. There is not yeah. there is not a art form that is not on display in music theater. Hmm maybe basket weaving, but, (laughs) you you know, but I mean, you can wrap it all up. It's, it's the visual, it's the physical, it's the musical and it's the intellectual. It's all of them at the same time.
0: Yeah. And, and, um,
1: when that, when I started playing in music theater, uh, with job site, I started working with them and all those light bulbs went off in my head right around the time that, the Biorchestra was getting ready to do its second Palladium show, and I started bringing in people that I was making friends with in music theater into the Biorchestra, and then oh, cool. they changed the Biorchestra. Um, how, how so? It became a theatrical experience. Like the idea dawned on like like the if I had had my way and done B'Orchestra completely by myself without anybody's influence, it would have just been a sit down show to be honest with mm. you. Here's the music. Thank you very much. Have a great night. But when I started like like bringing in my music theater friends that I was making at that time and they brought their ideas, costume changes, what? You know? Suddenly I'd be like, oh, I was thinking about this thing completely two-dimensionally. Uh-huh. And the music theater people with their inspiration and their energy brought Three dimensions to it, and yeah. I would, I, and it wouldn't have happened without them. I would not have seen it. So, um, people like Colleen Cherry, who is you know I, she's invaluable to the project. She changed it. She made it a theatrical experience. When we did, I did my first show with Colleen. Um, uh, she sang backups on our first Peter Gabriel show when we did that with Tori Amos I think but then the yeah. show that followed that we did David Bowie and I put her in the lead and I gave her the Bowie lead and um she killed it and she brought in so many theatrical elements to the show that they made it an experience and made it um and and then you know the, you 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 know here's another tangent we can't sell records anymore right like right. Nobody, nobody right. buys records anymore, but it's very easy to, to, to identify an audience that's hungry for an experience. Yeah. It just belongs just to them. Right. Yeah. So when we do a B- Orchestra show, it's not videotaped. It's not recorded. It happens in that room, in that moment. And I make that very clear to everybody at the show. What you're happening here is not being recorded. You You'll never see it again. It's just for you people. We're not streaming live on the internet. You go out in the lobby and you see our merch table. We don't have CDs. We never will. You know this. Hmm. The whole point of this thing is for you people in this room right now, and it disappears when you walk out. Um, and you'll never see us. We'll never repeat this show. Um, wow. So, and I think that they, I, you know, I think people respond to that. They'll come, they'll, they'll, they'll put, they'll buy a ticket for an experience faster than they'll buy your CD. I think, yeah, I think that's
0: true. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I think, um, if I'm there, me personally, I, I like those concert DVDs, Mm -hmm. um, just because uh sometimes you get a different camera angle and i want to see and maybe the seat that i got you know i wanted to see i want to see tom kersey and his Boeing a little closer
1: (laughs) but i'm so far in the back right right
0: um but i totally understand and i've been to both of the peter gabriel shows yeah the first one was downstairs and i was glad to see that the second one you had upstairs where you could fit more people and you had more people yeah yeah um that's that's really cool to hear the progression of you know adding the theater people bringing it in um and then adding those dimensions because I absolutely saw that I absolutely saw costume changes you had the the projector yeah. for um uh, for Peter's stuff and for Kate Bush stuff you had yeah. um you know that was it was really well done and it is an experience yeah um can I can I ask a, like maybe a little bit more technical question. Sure. What, what is the job for you when you're a music director for a theater company or whether it's the company as a whole for the whole season or just a show? What is it? What does it mean to be the music director for you? Uh,
1: You are, um, you're, you're leading the band through what usually is just reading what's on the page. And you're in charge of the, 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 I I put myself in charge of the emotional output of that music, right? The band is, is, is one unified character in the story. And we have, we have to act as much as everybody else on that stage is acting. We are the, we are the signal to the audience on what to feel. Mm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so our stock in trade as, as musicians in the musical theater project is emotion. That's primarily what we're selling. That's our product. And so yeah. it's, I, I fr- you know, first and foremost, um, I want to protect the emotional content of that music. And that is tied in directly to the director's vision. So you're an interpreter um, of the page. You're an interpreter of the director. And then in the moment, you are the sort of ringleader of the group in in all of those um, sections where... Uh, you got those infinitely like for for instance those infinitely repeating measures where you 're waiting for right. an actor cue, a blocking cue, a lighting cue, or something like that so you 're the guy right. that 's waiting for it, and everybody's watching you right so that's yeah. but um once you get into shows and everybody 's got all that stuff down you 're really just another performer in the show for the most part, but in rehearsals the the there's Collaboration with the director on what gets cut, what gets accentuated, what what, what gets uh, sort of um, you know here's the re- here's the important stuff. The director will say, yeah. "Do it like this," and so then that's my job is to go to the band and say, "The director says we're doing it like this." So yeah, um, but yeah, band leader really just band leader of somebody else's music for somebody else's story for for somebody else's uh unifying vision of how that story is going to be staged and um and uh I love it absolutely you know yeah. I don't I don't I, I don't mean to sound de- derisive when I'm saying for somebody else's story I mean I love the interpretation of all of it and I love the the hierarchical structure of of a theater company I I love the collaborative aspect of it I love the the um just you know he, throw a bunch of really really talented people in a room together for for 2 months you know mm-hmm. these are these are your people for the next 2 months and like the 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 fast friendships that developed that are yeah. like that are like lifetime friendships yeah. you, you know i'm uh, and uh but you only really work together for a couple months and then right, it's on right. to the next thing. I I love it. I I love the ADD of all of it. Like <laughs> like I like like the fact that look, when I did Three Penny Opera with Job Site Theater, I was off book for that show, and that's a complicated show. That music, that Kurt Val music. Oh my god. Oh my god. I didn't think I would ever be able to understand it. Like when we were leading up to that show, so weird and dark and and um, and and surprising, like unpredictable and odd keys, you you know, with like genuinely like harmony, like am I reading that right? Let me, hold on. What is that note? You you know, no, I'm reading that right. And it sounds like this. Holy crap. This is crazy. (laughs) I thought leading up to three penny opera that I would never really be able to fully understand it. And then, and, and, and then being able to sit there on stage playing the show off book, you know, remembering back to myself, haha! Remember when you think you couldn't, you couldn't do this, you know? And then you're like, <laughs> I'm like, I got it, and I memorized it, you know. Um, and then, uh, and then a couple months later, I could not even tell you, like, what key, <laughs> what key my favorite songs were from that show. I couldn't even tell you what right. key they're in. Right. Like, it's just gone. And and I think something I think I love I think there's something about that that I really love. So to I, lo- long to answer your question what does a music director do? Um that, I guess. In the in the no, beginning
0: I, I l- I love that answer, and it, and it's and I understood completely when you said you're interpreting somebody else's story, somebody else's music, you know. But that's yeah. that's the truth of it. They they are trying to tell a story, but in the moment, in those two or three week run, the people here in Tampa they don't know they don't know anything but your interpretation of it, right? And it, and maybe it's unique, you know. Maybe they've seen the show in New York and then they saw it here, but it, this is a this is its own thing. Yeah. I I've done I've never been a music director for a theater show but I've done several um several shows, you know, just as a bass player and I love that. I love that gig. I love the um because I I don't I'm I feel strange saying this. I like being on stage but I don't really want anybody to look at me when I'm on stage. Uh-huh. So being in a theater in an orchestra pit, you know, yeah. you just you wear all black and you you're in Perfect. a pit and you're you blend right and in. You play yeah, I yeah. I'm so happy doing that. <laughs> when we did
1: three when we did three penny opera, they put me the piano player uh center stage. The way Ooh. they the way they staged it, they staged it in levels. And I was mm-hmm. bottom level center stage right in the middle of everybody dancing around me um on top of me. Uh the the uh, the guitar player was was behind me to my left. The the drummer was like behind me way up on a three floors up to my right. Um, The horns were in the two wings on either side. The band was spread out, but everybody could see me because I was right in the middle of it. Yeah. They have to see you. That was fun. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Um, You know, I think, you you know, Mark Feynman. Yeah. He said something Mm -hmm. to me a long time ago that let me off the hook. And, um, and, and I'll never forget it. Uh, uh, and I don't even think he meant, he wasn't like even trying to give me advice or anything. He was just talking to me, but, um, he was talking about some other gigs that he has done that, that aren't jazz and, and how, you know, how like people have kind of asked him, you know, like, what, what kind of, you know, you, you're a jazz player. What kind of you know, or like, what kind of music do you play? And now he answers that like, I just, I just play music, um, mm, yeah. And and I, I walked away from that thing where he said that probably as an offhanded remark. You know, I don't think he really ever considered like the the how profound of a statement that was to me at the time. You know, it. I just play music. I thought of myself for so long as like this type of musician that to hear somebody that I respected uh still respect say that r- made it okay to just want to play music and not necessarily devote myself to this this thing that wasn't really you know fitting me very well,
0: yeah i that really resonates with me. I like that.
1: Yeah. Another, I like that it, a lot. Yeah. There, here's another thing that I, I, this is just a funny story, but like I remember when I was 22, uh, a saxophone player that I worked with said something that really resonated where I was playing a show uh, on Indian Rocks Beach and um, and I remember griping on the break, like that saxophone player that's sitting in with us uh, stepping all over my solo. and um, <laughs> and And then I think that got back to him And, and, and then his response got back to me where his response was like, well, when is he not soloing? (laughs) Right. And like, I, I, I went home that night, like with that cold pit, you know, that, you know, in your stomach that you feel when you really fucked up and you know it, you know, just sort of like, Uh or, or like when you've like, oh my God, have I been so blind, like, like, like that thing where, like, you know, all your friends knew that your girlfriend was cheating on you, but they never told you, like, that kind of thing. <laughs> that how you would feel after that. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Wow, that's so, intense.
1: Yeah, that's how I <laughs> felt after hearing that, you know, because that guy was accomplished. He knew what he was doing. He was a good mm-hmm. player. He wasn't just some schmuck. He was a dude, you know. And I remember the, the arrogance that I felt, the entitlement that I felt to even say that about him, He's stepping all over my solo, because that was my band that he was coming in to sit in with, right? So I'm, I'm entitled God. to feel that way. But his his response was just so like, yeah, it was... It was right on the money, too. I didn't feel that way because he was wrong. He, you know, I reacted yeah. to it because he was right. And that changed how I listened to other musicians. So um, that's the flip side of Mark Feynman <laughs> saying, I just play music. And the effect that that had on me, this other guy saying, when is he not soloing? Oh, uh, me- yeah. Yeah.
0: Man, Jeremy, it, um, I'm talking your ear off. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, this is great. This is, this is what, um, this is what I wanted. Cool. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that I, that I think you've found, um, again, I, I think it's just <laughs> one aspect of something that you're good at that you're yeah, yeah. You know, called to do. Cause I think, I think you're multi-talented, um, and no one should limit themselves to just one thing. No, but maybe, I'm good. Maybe two. I,
1: I, I'm I'm real happy with the Buorechestra. I'm I'm I am I'm super proud of it, and more so now than than when it was than when it was me. You know, now that I've got, I I, I kind of was like, I I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I uh-huh. I was maneuvering yeah. with the with the Orchestra towards a goal that that is. I mean, for all I know right now is just on pause right we you know the, the the votes the jury's still out in the arts whether or not our careers are on pause or on stop i i'm, I'm not let's sure.
0: take a moment to talk about that you know this I, I think you know we talked about this a little the other day, you know as you said just now the we're on pause um what what has it really been like for? What has your experience been? I've had a few. Actually, I've had a few people from the B-Orchestra. I've had Lance. Yeah, um, I've had Dave on the podcast and yeah. talk about you know what their experience was through all this. Um, how have you been handling COVID uh, and and the rest of the ensuing madness in this country?
1: Well, it's in two stages. I think in the in stage one uh, March 13, I, you know, my show shut down. Um, uh, and I knew that my, I, I, Buffy fest with the Bjorkster coming up. I knew that that was canceled. That was April 11, uh, you know, on March 13, my show that I was in at the Straz just stopped. Um, right. So I knew what that meant for April 11. I knew we weren't going back to, but, but things by then. Um, the, the show that I was going to do with American Stage uh, canceled or got canceled, but originally just like postponed and then maybe uh, it just kept getting pushed back. I, you know, I, I rode this wave of positivity and, and unity and motivation. I spearheaded a lot of complex and, and uh, um, ex- like projects that I'm, I'm, I'm still really proud of. Uh and I and I had I, I had designs on more. I, I I was thinking more than I had before about messaging, about what I wanna say as an artist through the type of music that I choose to do with the orchestra. Um and uh I Remember after we did this big complicated land of confusion video that took me like forever that's, to put together.
0: That's a great video. Thanks, man. Holy cow!
1: So I had this idea to follow that up. I, I, we, um, I've been sitting on all of this money that was given to us by um, the Saint Pete Clearwater Film Commission, who it, it was, um, sponsoring. Uh, Buffy Fest that was f- to be for April 11. Uh, they gave me a bunch of money that I intended to use as band pay for that show. I'm still sitting. Uh, oh, what's something? I'm like hearing like a weird noise, like a like a notification I've never it's heard a, before on my phone.
0: Poor connection. It's a, uh, just
1: okay. so
0: the people listening know we're on Facetime. You and I are on Facetime. <laughs>
1: right, 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 right. Staying so
0: six feet apart.
1: um <laughs> The, uh, I, what was I saying? I just lost that whole thread. That,
0: the, the, the film commission, the same thing yeah. you call it, you're so sitting gave, on this money.
1: Yeah. They gave me yeah. a bunch of money to use for band pay. Um, you, you know, uh, so I'm still sitting on it. I, I, I keep asking them, do you want this money back? And they're like, no, hold on to it. We'll do the show again. It, it'll, you know, so I hold on to that money because that's how I'm going to pay my musicians when we do that show. Um, right. Uh, but then I was like, you know, it's so stupid to hold on to this money. Why can't I uh, – I want to do another project, and, you know, yeah. a, a video project. Couldn't I Couldn't I do a video project that's then sponsored by the St. Pete Film Commission? Couldn't I do a film project and they could sponsor yeah. it? and And then that way that would ethically release me. From uh, you know, from having to hold on to that money, and I can distribute it to the musicians where it should be. You know, that's that's. Right. I mean, I know it's not very much, but you know, it's like two hundred and fifty bucks for for twenty five musicians, which could be useful right now when nobody's really working. Yeah. So that's what I wanted Especially to do. Now. So we we like we we I came up with the idea. I picked the song. Uh, and and the message the song was um wouldn't it be nice by the beach boys genius song oh, yeah. off an amazing record that has all the elements of the florida Beer orchestra it's horns and strings and the rhythm section we could do that so easily so collaborating with tom kersey and david gambino on the arrangement and um and the the video was going to be uh all of us. This is when everything was still shut down, so okay. all restaurants and all bars were closed. Um, we were starting this. Uh, we were starting to approach bars and venues and theaters in town about the idea of having everybody in their own little box, like our other videos, like twenty-five musicians at once. Um, yeah, uh, but everybody would be at an empty venue, an empty club stage, an empty. Uh, restaurant stage, an empty theater oh, stage. Wow. We would all do our our own performances from one each one of us, one of twenty five venues in Saint Petersburg or in Pinellas County. Wow. Um, and then at the end of the video, uh, like on on cue, uh, the uh, the cameras would spin around to the back of the each musician all at the same time. And you would see the empty audience, uh, seats in front of them. Right. And the message there for me was really super clear. It was, you know, would the song we're playing is wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if we were together? Right. So yeah. um, a message from artists and from venues to audiences. Um, and, th- uh, you know, saying, Hey, uh, Someday we're going to be able to be back together again, and when we are able to be back together again, please remember, um, you know, St. Pete artists and venues when you're when you're one, when we're ready to go back out to shows again. Um,
0: uh, that's such a great. Please do that. Right, that's such so, a great concept. Well,
1: um, so uh, I pitched that to the film commission, and they're like, "Yep, we love it. Let's do it." And then, so that was my avenue to get, uh, to get to get that money to pay everybody for for being in the video. I could pay twenty five musicians to be in this video, and I give yep. them their Buffy Fest money. And then, with like right when we're getting ready to do that, um, you, you know the 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 George Floyd thing happened, and then I didn't mourn that project. It it no longer made sense to do it. Gotcha. Right? So yeah. I didn't go through a pit like, oh man, it, this ruined my project. It just, it just stopped making sense to send that message that better right. messages needed to be spoken right now, louder right. and clearer than just remember the arts. It would have been, right. it would have been terrible to do that video. So we just, I just let it go. Um, and because I'm an artist and because I want to say things I'm I'm sensitive to like trying to find my voice in different scenarios and I think I just it it just uh I, I don't know I just didn't really feel like I needed to be doing any speaking you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm frankly I I'm, I'm I'm a white male if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be out there preaching at anything at all, it is going to be to correct the ignorance of other white people. Mm-hmm. That's like that. Right. I think that is that is all that is asked of me right now. As if I'm listening to what's going on, um, I. I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation except a giant ear to listen, and mm. and the, the 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 privilege of being a, a, a white male and um, being able to speak to other white people in their language. Yo, you you are you're <laughs> you're wrong about all this, you know, vile shit you're spewing. That right. that's what I. F- felt my role was like music I was no longer called to be a messenger through through music I was called to be uh a listener
0: that's uh, that's really interesting so um, and it's so
1: it's a really I've lost it's a really that's oh yeah, not my, that my ear my airpods dying <laughs> so now you're you you'll you'll probably still hear yourself a little bit because you're on speakerphone now
0: my voice will be in the uh, in the thing. Um, that's a it's a really wise perspective that I think you're taking to just to listen, um, to take this time to listen. But let me, I I watched um, on on Netflix. There's a thing um, where they're honoring. I think it's the Mark Twain Award. They're honoring Dave Chappelle, and Dave Chappelle wrote, read this quote. That I had I'm looking at it right now, I had my sister make a sign of it. It's a Tony Morrison quote um, that I'll I'll read to you, I'll share with you. Yeah. This is this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And you know he read that and and um, this was before uh George Floyd, so I think some of that has changed. Yeah. I think we as artists do need to speak, but what we speak or when we speak now we need to be we uh we should always be careful of it, we should always be mindful of what and when yeah um but I think it's um. I think we as artists should speak,
1: you know, um, I, I agree I don't with you. I know what, I agree. And I, 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 you know, I think initially I just, you know, when, when all that happened and the, the, all of the, the civil unrest and the, um, it was, it was demoralizing, um, the way that, uh, to to hear the, the, some of the opinions and just to see the world in so much pain. Um, yeah, it, it was, it had a pretty profound effect on me. Um, and I saw myself like, like if I'm going to do a project now it's going to take myself away from my family from my kids i'm going to sit back here in my office and i'm going to work and i'm going to work and i'm going to work because that's what i do and i felt like the world like this this shadow was passing over us of just grief and rage and 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 injustice and i felt like it was my moment to to turn my attention more inward towards this family um Mm. And uh, I kind of just stopped thinking about being an artist for a little while. It just felt like I needed to react to the world. I need to absorb, uh, listen to my listen to my friends, listen to their voices, and then try to figure out what, if anything, I would ever contribute to this to this conversation. And um, I think slowly, I'm 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 ready to to. To start projects again, but I, I, f- I feel like for the time being, uh, for f- f- in the foreseeable future, I feel like my role is to use my my gifts um, at, to amplify other voices, mm-hmm. not necessarily my own, you know. Sure, um, and, and and not even as a collaborator, you know as someone who who directs a project with somebody else. I mean more like in service of other voices. Yeah. I haven't found those projects or rather they they haven't found me yet. Um I we might be getting somewhere there with job site job sites going to theaters going to start um, a series of short videos that are going to be produced mainly by non-white voices in their it, within and without uh, of their uh, their their basic talent pool and i've offered myself you know for music for any one of those videos but that's where i'm going to put myself i think is um to to not try to insert myself into this narrative sure to, you know, I feel like I, f- I feel like we are where we are because white people have done enough of inserting themselves into everybody's narrative. Sure, you know, um, I'm not gonna be some sort of white savior, you know, like like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to play that role either. I'm sensitive to that. I know, I, you know. I know what that right. smells like. Right, My, right. you know, I'm getting just. It's just becoming. It just. It was whiplash. I think a long gut punch. The wind got knocked out of me. I, I mm-hmm. um, and then you know, sort of going through the the stages of grief, and in yeah. uh, that you know, small tangent. I think. I think that we are, we're seeing like differences in, in how people approach the stages of grief. What are they? What's the, the first one is,
0: well, there's, I don't know what the order is, but denial, anger, um, either sadness or depression. I don't know officially which of those. Yeah. Um, I don't know the, that there is an and order. The
1: bargaining and then uh,
0: bargaining, right? And
1: acceptance.
0: Acceptance I think, is last. I think. Yeah.
1: I I th- I think that um. I think that like the people that uh, I don't know. I, I'm I don't, I'm afraid to name them, but there there are two types of people in the world right now, and when it comes to this pandemic, at some of us are still stuck on denial, mm-hmm. and some of us are not, and right. I think you can probably make a clear line about how people approach masks on where they are in their stages of grief. We are all going through the stages of grief. The world has changed for all of us. Some yeah. of us that won't wear masks are still in the denial. We have trying to move past denial. We're trying to move into like bargaining, I think, right? <laughs> right. Um, anyway. Well I I just want to say like
0: let's not forget at least uh, those of us in the musical arts that listening is a big part of what we do it's a big part of our art so you're not no one is ever wrong to stop what they're doing right listen
1: you know and i you know i know like i know that the arts are the relief effort they're they're part of it they've always been part of the relief effort of 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 any you know Human catastrophe that the arts is always there, and I tend mm-hmm. to be part of it I just you know it feels really strange. I stopped being an artist for a while, sure um, yeah. at, in a while it's really just six eight weeks it's not really that long it feels like forever right um,
0: it reminds me of um and I wonder i've never looked into this but this thought just popped into my head what did Picasso feel that one of his most famous paintings is that is Guernica right this battle this tragic event and it's one of his most famous uh, pieces of art but what did he feel or how long did it take him to process that to get through that you
1: know but you know to put a point on it again you know going forward I'm 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 waiting for projects to find me where I can be in, in service of other people, who yeah. who need to be heard now more than I need to be heard. I don't have anything to say except what other people are saying. Except to be like, yeah, that. What, what you know, what she said. That that's the kind of that's that's the messaging I want to be at right now. Yeah, you know, that's great. So,
0: Jeremy, I I think that's a that's a good place to to leave it. um,
1: Oh my God! Have we been wait? How long have we been um, doing this?
0: Fifty. So this is an almost two hours, right? Am I am I counting correctly here? Um, What time is it?
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's been almost. it's been two hours. Yeah.
0: So this may I don't this may be one long episode or maybe two two episodes. I'm not sure yet. Um, it's probably just leave it as as one and. Let people listen, I mean that 's marathon you know, the pod, the great thing about the podcast is it 'll stay wherever you leave it, you know, so when you open it back up you 're right back at the same spot it 's like magic um, yeah it 's magic um man i really I really appreciate this time this conversation. I appreciate you, you really are um, you really are one of the best one of the great one of the big names. Here and you're like you're you're a, a world class musician in my in my opinion you you're out you're up there with the the heavy hitters whether you
1: think you are or not <laughs> you are thank you man I appreciate it and I appreciate you and in, in what you're doing and talking to all these people it's good thanks man.
0: There is so much wisdom to that uh, right now. We should be listening. Um, We as artists do need to speak, but we should be listening. And Jeremy has the right approach to that. Uh, We at the moment should be listening to the voices that need to be heard the most, which may not always be us. But if, um, if it's you, then speak. Present your art, present your work, um, but make it meaningful, make a change. That's my own editorial. But um, there's Jeremy Douglas, and I'm really glad that I could have him on the on the podcast um, to talk about imposter syndrome, um, his experience with it, his coping mechanisms, uh, some thoughts on it, the uh, effects of the covid pandemic the effects of um, of the george floyd murder on on him on the arts on his projects um, and make sure you follow uh, the florida B- Orchestra. they have their own website florida bjorkestra uh, spelled like the artist bjork the singer b-j-o-r-k-e-s-t-r-a so florida djorkestra dot com, and the same on Instagram Florida B-Orchestra. and you can keep up with stuff as you know. As we know, stuff is on pause right now, um, but that won't always be the case. Uh, you know, go on Instagram, check out some of the pictures, some of the clips. Go on their website to keep up with them and and support a local a local music collective and um support the venue the the palladium in saint pete and you know support local music one other area of support that i would appreciate if you're not already subscribed to this podcast please do so uh you can do it on uh, apple podcast on stitcher on spotify on pandora on google Podcasts, hit subscribe and keep up with um you know, keep up to date with the episodes of this podcast. Uh also follow me on Instagram at music grind podcast. And if you want to send me an email of um, you know, whatever uh topic or suggestion or questions you might have, uh grind podcast at gmail dot com. That's how you can get a hold of me. And uh yeah, that's um that's all the news. Share this, rate and review. Uh, you know, do all the things. Uh, don't forget. You know, we are we are still in this pandemic situation, and numbers here in Florida have been rising. Please, 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 just be safe. Be smart about it. Um, be conscientious of. Your fellow people, your fellow humans, wear your mask, wash your hands. I mean, you should have been washing your hands already. Let's be real. (laughs) I don't know why that has to be said. Wash your hands, wear the mask, uh, be safe, be uh, socially distant when you need to. And um, yeah, thanks for listening.